0: Go ahead and stand with me. We're going to do our declaration together this morning. Let's proclaim these things together by faith. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the real purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen. Give God praise once again this morning. He deserves it. Yes. We're going to go to Luke 15, through 32, Luke 15, through 32, and this is what it says. This is pastor's text this morning. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of those servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, "Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore he came out his father and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed him, for thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was met we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you we're able to gather together and exalt your name, and I pray for liberty and freedom as Pastor brings forth the word. I pray our hearts are ready to receive that which you have for us, and I pray people who are lost would be found. In Jesus' name, amen
1: amen you may be seated this morning we want to get into the word of god we got a lot to cover here today before i did was not that trio almost i mean magnificent amen it, it took me a month to get them to sing that good i worked real hard with them amen praise the lord We wanna get right into the word of the Lord. As you all know, we've been in a series in the book of Luke chapter 15. We didn't read the whole chapter about the other parables that we tied in. But this morning, we're gonna be preaching again on the parable of what we call the prodigal son. Last week, we preached on the son that became lost due to his decision to actually leave the father's house. He became lost due to choice, not out of weakness like that of the lamb and not out of indifference and lukewarmness and apathy like that of the coin. He was lost due to his rebellion he was self-centered he was selfish he wanted what he wanted and he forsook the father's house and did not care what the father wanted this week I want us to see that there are actually that there's actually another son that is lost though lost in a total different way in this very same parable matter of fact it's easy to see the lamb that the lamb was lost that the coin was lost the prodigal son was lost but most of us really never pay attention that there's another lost son it's called an elder son within the scripture it's kind of hidden it's Away. It's kind of like a mystery. We don't really look at him in the light that I'm about to present to, him, to present to you in. In this parable, we have to remember that who that Jesus is actually speaking to because it's very, very important. We have to understand his audience in order that we might get a clear understanding of what his message is and what he's actually trying to convey and who he's trying to convey it to and why he's trying to convey it. According to the scripture in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, the Bible reveals to us that the publicans and the sinners came Near to Jesus and gathered around him to hear him. In other words, his presence drew a crowd. And let me tell you, wherever the presence of God is, I still believe it draws crowds. Can you say amen? But we also see that there were Pharisees and scribes that sat by and they murmured saying, this man receiveth sinners and he eateth with them. They're criticizing what Jesus is actually doing. Here was the religious sect, those that were supposed to be righteous and they were considered students of the law, scholars of the word and yet they failed to understand the real reason and the real purpose of Jesus' coming. If they would have only known the word of God and had rightly divided it and not just take parts of it and build their own doctrines, they would have understood his purpose and they would have come to understand the reason that the son of God was to be manifested upon the earth. It's odd to me how that there are so many different denominations and beliefs in our world today and yet they all believe that they are right in their belief and they even believe that they got scripture that back up their belief, uh, and they believe that they can, uh, they can be- that, that they that their belief is the only one that is right. The problem is, it's very easy to take part of the Word of God, build doctrines that justify our beliefs and our intent, but not have a clear understanding of biblical theology because we lack we, ha- we lack an overview of the total Word, and we also cannot really know truth by not having the Spirit that guides and leads us into all truth. That's why the Bible tells us. 2 Timothy 2 and 15 to study to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be shamed rightly dividing the word of truth in the book of John he tells us howbeit when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself but whatsoever he heareth that shall he speak and he will show you things to come he shall receive a mind and he will show it unto you how many knows uh, that not only do we need to study the word but we need to know the author of the word the Holy Spirit who breathed upon old men of old we need to have the Spirit of God and the enlightenment of the Spirit in order to interpret the Word. Can I have an amen? It is the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us into all truth. The Pharisees were so stooped in religion and tradition and so blinded by their belief that they failed to recognize not only the truth, but they were not even able to embrace or acknowledge Jesus Christ himself who was truth. Even though the, all of the scriptures fit him and all of the prophecies that about his coming and when he would be come and why. he would do, all of that. They understood it all, yet was blinded to the fact of who this man, Jesus Christ, truly was. Their tradition taught them that they were to to have nothing to do with sinners, and they had verses of scripture they felt like that would back them up. Scriptures like they believe, the the scripture that says, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you unto myself. They misinterpret that scripture of what it actually meant. For Jesus to fellowship with sinners was, was against their very doctrine, was against their very belief. It was opposed to the very laws that they had established. And in today's terminology, they would argue that Jesus's methods were warly and they were ungodly. They viewed him as tainted or flawed and that he was leading people astray by his new quote, quote, modern day methods. And a matter of fact, Jesus went against many of their rules, many of their laws and their practice of the truth. For example, just to name a few. He healed on the Sabbath day. He sat down and he ate with sinners and touched them and embraced them and loved them, had compassion upon them. He was considered by these Pharisees as a radical and he was they, they, they believed that he was prostituting the word of God and was an apostate teacher and that he was an apostate preacher. They viewed him this way because he did not hold to their belief. He did not keep their traditions but ministered in a more modern day way in order to to teach and reach the masses and that culture of people of that day. The whole reason Jesus came was why? To save sinners. Isn't that what Paul said in the book of 1 Timothy 2 and 15? He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception that Jesus Christ he came into the world to save sinners. Jesus himself said in Luke 19 and 10 that the son of man he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he made it very very clear to us in the book of Mark chapter 2 verse 17 when he said they that are holy not a physician but they that are sick he said I've not come to call the righteous but I've come to, to bring the sinners to repentance the whole reason Jesus came was to redeem us to save us he came that he might manifest himself and destroy the works of the devil that was against us folks the whole reason that we're here today is we're here today because we have a redeemer his name is Jesus Christ he is the way the truth and the life there's no man that cometh unto the Father except through him. He is the living Son of God that has saved us and washed us in his whole blood. He's Messiah, Messiah. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. He's Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I have an amen? That's the gospel. That's the message of the hour, the message of the cross. The Pharisees could embrace the fact that God wanted to bring redemption. Of course they could embrace that but not in the way that Jesus was actually doing it. They thought that he was not to have anything to do with sinners, but the sinners were to seek him out. It's odd that Jesus didn't wait for the sinner to seek him out, he went after them. He pursued them, can I have an amen? The message wasn't what they actually rejected, it was his method. And I see the same kind of wars going on in churches that keep churches bound and dead and stifled all of the time in the modern day world. Wars over methods and tools and practices that the church uses in order to reach the different people groups. Folks, it ain't so necessary to understand all the tools and stuff. As long as the message doesn't change, it doesn't matter what kind of methods we use in order to win people to Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? In each of these parables, Jesus has given the Pharisees an example of how they were lost. He's ministering to the Pharisees. In the parable of the lost sheep, he's trying to tell them that they were a part of the lost sheep of Israel and that they were separated from the fold. In the parable of the lost piece of silver, he was trying to tell them that they were lost even in the house due to their indifference and their lukewarmness and their apathy. He was trying to tell them that even though they were a part of the house of Israel, Abraham's seed, yet they were lost, And even though they held to a moral conviction, held to religious association, they had the image of the king upon them, upon that coin, the subscription of the king was there, the image was there. They appeared to be spiritual by their outward observances of religious activity and their moral character, but yet they had a form without any kind of force or power. They were lost, though valuable, yet they were lost, is what he was telling them through the coin. What good is a piece of silver if it's lost and it cannot be spent for the owner or for the master and used for his glory? They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. And the apostle Paul said, from such people like this, you turn away, you reject them. The Pharisees went into seclusion. They went into hiding. They become elusive because they they cannot participate or could not participate in this so-called modern way of Jesus. Oh, look at what Jesus is doing. Though Jesus was drawing the crowds, he was drawing the multitudes. Though he did not win them all, yet he won more than what the Pharisees had won. Can I have an amen? Amen. They considered the Pharisees considered separation as holiness. They kind of locked themselves up, had a big long nose, and they had all of the religious attire and all kept all of the laws and all of the observances. And yet we're holy, and we can't be tainted by rubbing shoulders with sinful people. If they want to be redeemed, they gotta come into us, and they gotta they gotta become like we are, and they gotta accept us for who we are. The Pharisees isolated themselves in so-called spiritual reform, and yet they lost. Lost touch to a dying world And can I tell you there's a lot of churches That's lost touch to the dying world They keep wanting to have in church Like they had it in 1950 I want to tell you something folks Jesus did not close himself up The Pharisees closed themselves up While Jesus openly showed And manifested, manifested himself openly Can I tell you They shut themselves in While Jesus gave the command to the church go Go into the highways and the byways and the hedges. Compel people to come to me. He even told us in the great commission that all power was given to him in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always into the world. It's not a time for the church to lock themselves up and think and hope that sinners will come and join in with us. It's time that the church advance, rise up, be the salt of the earth, be the light of the world, be, a, be a city that's set on a hill and go out and gather in the harvest and bring in the sheaves. It's our responsibility. The lower world is lost and we can't be untouched to a lost and dying world. Can I have an amen? Now we can come in here and sing our songs and shout and have a great good time and that's a wonderful thing but the real thing is how are we involved in the great commission to win people for Jesus Christ? How much do you show your faith? How much do you talk about the Lord? How many times do you intentionally have a sinner to your house, eat a meal with them, and begin to love on them and embrace them? May take 10 times before you ever mention the Lord. A lot of times you don't even have to, they will. I've won more people on a fishing bank when I was in my young preacher, I'd take them out and them. They was not there to catch fish, I was there to catch them. Can I have an amen? The worm wasn't the bait, I was the bait, the gospel was the bait, and trying to bring them into the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Their scream was, anyone can have a crowd. If you do it the way Jesus does, he's warly. If you're warly, everybody can have a big church. You know what they say that about us all the time? These small churches sometimes can become very jealous and criticize a church for growing. Well, if we were warly and let everything and anything walk in their doors like they do, then we could have a big church too. The Pharisees could not see that they were not winning anyone but they took pride in the moral character, justified their judgmental and bitter spirit toward Jesus and his disciples who were ministering and winning the masses. Can you imagine that? They called Jesus a wine-bibber. They accused him of blaspheme. They accused him of being Beelzebub, the prince of the devil. Can you imagine the Pharisees, the scholars of the law, who knew the word inside and out, looked at Jesus who filled every prophecy in the word of God and called him Beelzebub. You are of the devil! How? How is that even possible? Here, Jesus is trying to get over to them that even though they were a part of the common wealth of Israel, yet they were lost. They have lost their blessing and their birthright privileges, like that of Esau. Isn't that sad? Lost their birthright. They have lost the divine favor and flow of God's Spirit, like that of Samson. That mighty man of God who had the anointing, who began, the Bible says in the book of Judges, to deliver Israel. That's one of the saddest scriptures. They began, but he never finished. It ain't how you begin as much as how you finish. you got to finish well. you got to be like the apostle Paul. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me and not only to me, but to all them that love his appearing. Is there anybody in this house today? And Samson woke up one day and shook himself as before and knew not that the glory of the Lord had departed from him. This is what happened to the whole religious sect of the Pharisees is that they lost their birthright privileges and the favor of God was lifted off of them. And even though they were religious and scholars of the law, yet they were void of the lawgiver's presence and his anointing and their lives were rendered ineffective. They couldn't even they couldn't win any kind anybody in their culture. They knew the law, but they did not know the heart of the lawgiver. Can I have an amen? It is here in the story of the prodigal son that we see Jesus reaching out to the Pharisees and he's painting them a picture of themselves through this parable. What is a parable? Remember, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's symbolic. And what Jesus was doing, he was pulling those Pharisees together and he's saying, I want to give you a parable. And when he painted the parable to them and gave them the story, he's saying, this is who you are. And he compared him to the elder brother he gave give them an object lesson. Why? Because he loved them. The Pharisees is not a picture of the prodigal son as much as he is the prodigal son's brother, the elder brother. Notice how that he brings them together just to teach them a lesson. Though they were arrogant, though they were self-righteous, though they were conceited, yet Jesus still loved them enough and reached out to them. You know why? Because Jesus is not willing that any should perish but that all of us should come to repentance. God's not willing that anybody would be lost or unsaved. God wants all men to come to the knowledge of truth and be saved. Can I have an amen? Amen. He loved them, though they were conceived. I want to tell you, they were his worst enemies. Calling him a devil and getting in his face and ridiculing him and fighting him and imposing... How many of you would still love him enough to say, Well, I love you enough, I'm going to paint you an object lesson and try to win you over. He still did not just turn his back on and walk away and not try somehow to reach at least a few of them with his message. Notice how, that as the father threw the party and the elder brother, look what happens. He refused to go into the party. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when he was returning from the field, from working as he drew out of the house, that he heard music and that he heard much dancing. And then he asked, what meaneth this? What's going on in the house? And one of the servants said to him, thy brother has come back home. Your father has killed the fatted cat because he received him safe and sound. Now this is one of the saddest things that I ever read in the word of God because I want you to take notice. of something. We just read through stuff sometimes and we really don't pay the attention of what just took place in that wording. Though the son was a part of the house, he did not know what was going on in the house. He had to be told by a servant. Do you know how many people that is a part of the house but they don't have a clue of what's going on in the house because they lack like spiritual enlightenment, spiritual perception, they don't have revelation of God They just come in and they come into the house and sit down service after service after service. And they don't have a clue of the spiritual. Hello? Here is a son coming home and the servant knows more about what's going on in the house than he does. The servant of the house knew and understood more than what was going on in the house than him as a son. How many knows there's more privileges in sonship than there is in servanthood? How many knows that a son has more privileges than a servant? And yet, why was it that the servant had more insight than the son did? Hello? Here we see that in the scripture. There are all kinds of people that have been in the kingdom of God for years and years and years. They've been a part of the household of faith for many, many years. And yet, they lose sight and touch with the spirit of the house. They lose insight to what is happening in the house. They lose touch to the moving and the shifting of that house. They lose the feel of the atmosphere of the house. Oh, never underestimate. As a shepherd, it's amazing sometimes what the Lord lays them on. I can sit over there, and I don't know. It's maybe it's because of my position, maybe it's because I'm the shepherd. But I, can, I got the feel of this service. I can tell when it's bound. I can tell when it's free. I can tell when something's not right. I can tell when we're hot and right on. I can tell even sometimes what groups of people think. I feel what the atmosphere. I feel the the tensions. I feel the liberties. I I, I sit there and I analyze, and I got a good pulse rate of what's taken place in the service. As kingdom believers, you and I have the right to have access to the knowledge of what God is up to, what he wants to perform, what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish, how he wants to work. And it's time that the church come and sing to the Father instead of us sitting outside questioning what in the world is going on. On the day of Pentecost... What meaneth this? This is strange. Then the accusations and the markers come up. They be drunken. Peter said, oh no, you don't have perception. You don't have revelation. These are not drunk as you suppose seen. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is that which the prophet Joel spoke about. That in the last day saith, God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And upon my house and upon my handmaids, I'll pour out my spirit. In those days saith the Lord. Why is it that we we don't just need a third or a, a fourth or a half of the people coming in and understanding the moving, the shifting, the spirit of the house? If the house will be unified, there's power in unity. How about being unified with me and standing and give the Lord some highest praise here today? Hallelujah. Come on, you can beat that. Give him praise. I don't want to be somebody that's clueless that's sitting on the outside peeking in and observing what other people are getting the blessing. I don't want to lose the feel of the atmosphere of the house to where I no longer am in sync or in rhythm to what is in the house, and what, the ha- what the house is doing and where it's going. I want to be a part of the move of God. You want to be a part of the move of God? These Pharisees lost their ability to move with the house and embrace the house. Because we see that after the son found out what was going on in the house, sad, he didn't want to have any part of it. Woo! He refused to embrace it. He refused to endorse it. He refused to even participate with the presence of the Father. Can you imagine that? Matter of fact, verse 28 says, and he was angry and he would not go in he hears about what's going on, and he becomes angry. When I was a young preacher, I read this story, and to be honest with you, I thought, what in the world? I didn't understand this prayer because I did think the elder son had a legitimate gripe, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But here he is sitting outside, He servant tells him what's going on, he gets angry, and he would not go in. It's one thing not to like something, but it's another thing to get a critical, angry, bitter spirit, and not even participate, and then justify it. Justified through religious arrogance. Come on now. You see, to despise the party was despise the father and what he was doing because the party was orchestrated and designed by God the Father Himself. Do we not understand that? The party was the father's idea. He was the one that threw it. It wasn't the servant's idea, it wasn't even the son's idea, it was the father's idea who orchestrated and gave the party. It was endorsed by him. It was created by him. Come on. This is like God anointing something in the church and people refusing to participate because it don't, because it don't, because they don't like what's going on or they don't understand it. It cramps their style. It goes against their grain. It doesn't meet their expectation. It doesn't fit their personality. It doesn't match up to their tradition. It's not to their liking. And it sure don't fit the code that we've always flowed in for 50 years. It's different. This is a Pharisee spirit when people won't participate in a move of God just because they don't understand. There's a lot of things I don't understand. It, but if the earmarks of God is in it, I'm going to plunge myself right in the middle of it. Can I have an amen? amen. If God is anointed it, then it's God putting it on display and manifesting it. It's if God's fingerprints are on it, and if God's manifesting it, I'm telling you this, I am not going to reject it, nor am I going to refuse it. To reject, it's the same as rejecting the anointing. To reject the anointing is rejecting God. Amen? This is why that God told Peter in the vision upon the rooftop, you remember when he commanded him go down to the Gentiles to clean his house and preach because remember, the the, the Gentiles were considered unclean by the Jews. And Peter's up there struggling. He's concerned about his doctrine of what he's been taught. And here's God telling him to do something that goes against his belief system Goes against his doctrinal beliefs, and all of a sudden he's struggling. God gives him a vision, and three different times God tells him in the book of Acts, chapter 11, the voice from heaven came and said to Peter, What I have cleansed, call thou not common. If I have cleaned, if, if I say they're clean, they're clean. Amen. Amen. After Peter goes and preaches to the Gentiles, the Bible says they receive the word of God. Something amazing happens, even the Jews that went with Peter marveled and they said, hey, they have received the same like gift as we have for even on the Gentiles, the gift of the Holy Ghost is being poured out upon them. Peter receives much criticism from the early church for ministering to the Gentiles because it was not considered holy to do so. Why did you go down there for? That wasn't holy, that wasn't right. What are you doing, Peter? And the, and the church is criticizing Peter for it. After God was the one that orchestrated and even gave him a vision and a command to do it. You know how many times I've been criticized just to try different methods because it didn't fit a style or a, maybe a rhythm that we've always been in? I'll tell you one thing, folks. We need a different rhythm change once in a while. We can get bored and stiff and stifled to where nothing happens because we've been doing the same old thing for 50 years. And if we keep doing the same old thing that we've always done, we're gonna keep getting what we've always got. It's odd how we'll change dress and change hairstyles and women will change makeup and change fingernails and we'll change cars and we'll do it all, but we won't change in the church. All right, message is over. I'm going home. Amen. Peter receives much criticism and went against the Jewish customs and their teachings, their practices, their way of thinking. Folks, we don't have this thing all figured out. There's none of us that's got God figured out. Right when you think you've got him figured out, he does something to blow you away and think, whoa, and he tests you to see if you can trust him as God. And if you've if you got your God figured out, I want to tell you, he's not God because I want to tell you, anybody that's trying to serve a God that they can figure out is not big enough to be a God. Can I have an amen? But this went against the Jewish culture, the Jewish belief, the Jewish doctrine. And yet it was Peter that tells him in Acts 10 and 28, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come into one of another nation? But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean because I perceive that God's no respecter of persons. Everything changed in Peter over revelation of God. Everybody says, one thing, pastor, I don't agree with you is that you are always preaching experience. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. Some things can't be taught. They have to be caught. And there's some things that you can learn from a touch of God and by the presence of God in one second more than a year of study. Now, I'm not saying study ain't important because everything's got to be backed up by the word. Can I have an amen? But who can deny that God was in what Peter done because the Gentiles received the gift of the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues and prophesied? And many of them, even after they spoke in tongues and prophesied, could not embrace the move of God and get in sync with the rhythm of the house and accept the things that happened as truth. You know how many times people come into Pentecostal services, tongues interpretation go out. Yeah, they don't believe it. They're not in sync with it. Their spirit didn't bear witness of it. Come on. You know, when God begins to move strangely and people fall out in the spirit and they jerk and they do weird stuff, there's critics. They're not a part of the move of the house. They're not in sync with what God's doing. Come on. I'm telling you, God's fixing to stretch this place beyond compare. We're always wanting the phenomenal. We're always the phenomenon. We're always wanting the supernatural. We're all, I want to tell you something. You can't have supernaturals with a finite mind. You've got to believe outside of the scope of your own beliefs. God's about to do some supernatural things around here. He is doing supernatural things around. Get in sync, get in rhythm. God's never stopped moving. He's not been on vacation. He's not slumbered. He's not slept. He's not set back. He's not taken his ease. God's still on the throne. He's still alive. He's still moving. God has not went to Branson for a month. He's not riding roller coasters and having fun. He's ruling and reigning over a world and he wants to rule and reign over the church. Can I have an amen? How could they deny? They heard not speak in tongues, but they still did. They rejected, held to their traditions, their methods. And they ended up unaffected and they lost purpose to the house. And they became Pharisees. God help us. You know why the reason the world is advancing its cause more than the church? Because the world is more unified in purpose than the church or the kingdom of God is. The church has succeeded in taking prayer out of schools. I mean, the world has succeeded to take prayer out of schools, the world has succeeded in making abortion legal. They've succeeded in getting homosexual agendas passed in marriage and in educational systems being taught. They've succeeded in getting the Ten Commandments removed from public offices. They've succeeded in stopping nativity scenes from being on display at Christmas on governmental properties. They've succeeded in taking down religious symbols such as crosses in states across America they succeeded in many colleges and universities across America to silence freedom of speech when it comes to religious belief and liberty by forbidding Bible reading, religious t-shirts and symbols, and personal with- witnessing on campuses. In the military, in a lot of different places, chaplains cannot even pray in the name of Jesus or invoke the name of Jesus. They've stopped many airports from putting on any kind of religious symbols whatsoever They are unified in their cause while the church split hairs over everything and has schisms. And due to our traditions, we lose touch to the heartbeat of the Father. They lose sight of the Father's agenda. Come on now. They get out of sync to the rhythm of the spirit of the house to the point they don't even understand and they're clueless of what's going on. They're in the house, but they're not a part of the house. Because they're serving out of an intellectual mind trying to figure everything out. And they have not the Holy Spirit. And they sit there and they're not spiritual. And the carnal mind is at enmity with God and cannot be subject to the law of God. And neither indeed can be. And the carnal mind brings forth death. There's a way that seemeth right in the man, but the ends thereof is Destruction. Well, I just feel it in my heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can even trust it? Come on. We have to be spiritual. Folks, it's important to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. It's important to have the breath of God breathe on you and fill you with the Holy. And it's important to those that have been filled to be refilled and kindled and refreshed and renewed by the presence of God on a regular basis. I don't know why, but if you believe that, stand with me and signify it by saying, God, breathe on me. Breathe on me, Holy Spirit. Lift up your hand and say, breathe on me, Holy Ghost. Fill me again, Holy Ghost. If you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, seek him with a... I mean, don't you give up this year until you're baptized afresh and anew with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. You can't be a part of the house and understand the heartbeat of the house without the Holy Spirit. It's not by power nor my mind, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. You may be seated. We must get the vision of the Father and embrace the spirit of the house if we're ever gonna fulfill the Father's agenda. Come on. Uh, Psalms 133 is one of my favorite psalms. Go read it. It's about the unity of the believer and where power and blessings forevermore is pronounced. If we don't have unity and if we're not unified in the purpose of the Father's agenda, we're not going to succeed because our agenda is not anointed, only his. You know, one of the things, I love my wife. I do. But Jenny's always rearranging our house and she's constantly moving stuff. Constantly. In my flesh, I don't like it. Right when I get used to where something's at somewhere in the room, boom. I come home, boop, she's moved it. Go in to get something, where's this at? Well, it's over here now. Why? Come on, men, have I got a witness out here somewhere? I went home before and walked into my living room and it'd be dark brown. And before the weeks over go in, it'd be light tan. Before the next week comes out, it's almost a hot pink. What in the world's going on? I didn't like them colors. Change, 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 move, shift all the time. Woman can't be happy. She's always saying, hey, let, let's, let's fix you up. Let's do you a makeover. Let's get get a little gray out of there. Let's put in that a little darker. Leave me alone, woman. (laughs) Amen. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. And at night, I'll turn around and turn off all the lights and head to the, I go to bed a little lot later than she does. Me and mama's got to get our episodes of Gunsmoke in. I'll put mom to bed and turn everything off and I'll head to the bedroom and bang, boom, busted up legs, busted up feet, toes and everything because she's moved stuff. Where'd that come from? Right now I got a black toe fixing to lose a toenail. I like the things that are familiar. But I want to tell you it's necessary to move things around and keep things fresh in order to keep life in the house. No one goes out here and wants to sell an outdated home. You're not gonna get much out of it. Come on. You go into a house, it's got turquoise 1950 bathtubs, white shag carpet 1960s. Come on. Now some of you are living like that because you ain't changed your house in fifty You need my wife to come over. She'll take care of you real fast. Amen? Went into a house some time ago with a man. He walked in. He's looking around. Well, we got to tear down them that dark panel and that's out of style. This is out of style. That's out of style. This st- he's going to put more money in the house than probably it would be to rebuild the house. All because it's dated. It's unattractive. It's not modern. It's not up to date. Come on. And yet, why is it that we think that we can sell Jesus to a lost world in an undated Package. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do. It. We got a product to sell to the world. That product is Jesus Christ. And he can't be packaged like he's some religious. Pharisee who's got a bunch of rules and don'ts and this and that and puts you under bondage and religious, a cloak of religious bondage. God did not come to put you into bondage. He came to set you free. You're not saved by the law. We have to unify ourselves in what the Father's doing and be not concerned about what we want to do. We sing a song and sometimes I think a lot of us don't even know what, what is the word of that. I don't understand that song. What's the lyrics about? What, what's the meaning? We sing the song, whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, oh, come Lord Jesus. What does that mean? In other words, it don't matter what we want. It don't matter what we like. It doesn't matter what we are attracted to. God, whatever you want, you're the Father. You set the agenda. Whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, we'll accept it, oh, Lord Jesus. We sing it, but we don't practice it. In this story, we actually see two sons. Both were in a pig pen. One was in the pig pen of rebellion. The other one was in the pig pen of self-pity. One came home while the other one was in the home but never made it a part of his home. Are you with me? One was in the state of unrighteousness. The other was in the state of self-righteousness. One of the biggest trends that the church world has to really guard itself against is the spirit of the Pharisee. And you know what the spirit of the Pharisee is? Self-righteousness. Amen? Pride. Brother Zach preached a fabulous message. You You need to look that up. I wish I'd said those things. I see people that cannot deny that God's in the house. Because they see people saved, they see people blessed, they see people people minister to, they have relationship with people that they know that they're healed, they know that it was real, but many of them are still like the Pharisees, they still can't embrace it. Isn't that weird? Well, I know it may be nothing wrong with it, but I cannot, and I will not participate with what I'm endorsing, what, what they're trying to endorse. It just goes against my personality, it goes against my likes. They verbalize and they feel like as if they have a right to reject what God's anointing and what God's blessing because it just cramps their style. I want to tell you, we call this parable the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son, but we really need to call it the parable of the lost sons because both of them are lost. One rejected the father by leaving. The other rejected the father in his very presence. Arrogance. When do we think we have a right to be arrogant? Come on, then look carefully at this elder brother. Real fast, and I'll be closing here in about whenever I get ready. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hang with me just a little longer. On the outside, this elder son was everything the father wanted him to be. On the outside, he fit the part. On the inside, however, he was overcome with jealousy, self-will, anger, consumed with it, and blinded by bitterness of soul. In the house, but bitter. In the house, but angry. In the house, but jealous. In the house, but lost. But yet justified every feeling that he had and every attitude that he had. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, hey, I got you together. And here he is telling these Pharisees about this guy. And I'm sure they're, they're sitting there, yeah, 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 this guy's Bad, ain't he? And then Jesus says, "Yeah, but let me now paint you a picture. Oh, he looked apart on the outside, didn't he? But inwardly, he, he wasn't very good. And listen to what Jesus tells him: Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, he called them blind. No perception, no understanding. Cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside may be clean also." And then he goes on and says, woe well, do you scribes and Pharisees. He's not done rebuking them. I want to tell you, Jesus can get tough. Like the book of James. I like to skip the book of James. That dude is rough. <laughs> Amen. He gets into your business real, real fast. I like those compassionate and loving and forgiving and merciful scriptures, but those ones that calls you an enemy of the cross and those that call you, a, 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 you know, a one led of the devil and a child of iniquity and boo, I think I'll pass those scriptures. Amen? But Listen, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto white sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but are full within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Their iniquity wasn't in immoral activity like you would think, but more on a spiritual bondage. They held to moral compassion, or moral compass, I should say. They restrained from all images of sin. They kept laws, rules, regulations. They appear beautiful outwardly, but Jesus says, you're full of hypocrisy and you're full of iniquity. You're straight as a gum barrel, but you're just as empty. You hold malice, division, jealousy, hatred, criticalness, bitterness in your heart, and then you try to justify it if it's okay because you feel like you're self-righteous in doing so. One definition of the word iniquity is bent. They were bent on holding to their own belief system that, in, that invalidated them for holy service because they could not embrace what God was anointing and what God was doing. Therefore, they were rendered unaffected and useless for the kingdom because they could not be spent. The elder son was found working but not serving. There's a difference. Let me tell you, his work was a work of flesh. The elder son would love to sit in a service like last Sunday when I was preaching on the prodigal son and I was talking about how the prodigal son had left, how he was a transgressor and how he was rebellious and how he was self-centered. You know what the Pharisee would be doing? They would be sitting in the audience as I preach that sermon, and I'm dogging their own son, their own brother out. He's a transgressor. He's full of, of, of rebellion. He, he's going out here and he's self-centered. And I, that's the way we preached about the prodigal son last week, was it not? You know what the Pharisees would be doing? Amen, brother. Hallelujah! Preach it, bring it down. And while they could criticize and agree with the message about what the other son was doing, they could not see their own hang-ups and flaws within themselves. How many of us do the same thing? Well, that message today was to so-and-so over there. And the whole time the preacher's preaching, you got your mind on who it's going to and not even paying attention how it might affect you. Amen. We're all guilty. Whew, it's getting tight in here now. The elder son looked the part, played the part, indeed looked righteously, held himself to a standard even above others. Hey, he never left home. Hey, he never went out and got drunk. He didn't go out and sleep with harlots. He didn't waste any money. He didn't go out and party. He done none of those things. Absolutely none of it. Amen? In the natural standpoint, it appeared that this elder son had justifiable reasons to be upset. Why not? It seemed that that he was mistreated or he was taken advantage of and did not get the equal attention or treatment from the father. His complaint was, this is how a guy gets recognition in the family. Go get drunk, go sleep with a harlot, go get broke. Come back home, they'll throw you a party. That's his attitude. This is how you get recognition in the father's house. Just go out and do all, I want to tell you, And I'm going to make a statement getting ahead of my notes. Every sinner that walks through that door, I don't care how bad, how ugly, or where they've been, or what they've done, when they come down here and give their life to Jesus Christ and ask forgiveness, this preacher is going to rejoice whether you get mad or whether you get happy because the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that gives their life to Jesus Christ. Amen? Listen to what he says. Soon as thy son was come which has devoured thy living with harlots you've killed him, the fatted calf. I tell you, if I talked to my dad the way this guy, this elder brother talked to his dad I'd find myself coming up off the ground after I woke up. The arrogance, the self-righteousness accusing the father. Come on now. You're talking about a boy to be able to get some attention and a following with this kind of a viewpoint in the church What He could. You're talking about a man that could really split a church and cause schism in the body? This guy could with his concept of thinking and with his natural mind. There are so many people that think they know what goes on in a church, and they're clueless of what goes on in ministry and how what the things we deal with and how in sync that we have to be spiritually in order to be able to have success and have anointing. Amen? And everything spiritually goes against the grain naturally. It goes against the, 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 the intellect, the, the concepts of our own mind. This man would not have any trouble of getting the following, that's for sure. Why? Because he's operating with a carnal mind instead of a spiritual mind. How many knows in the natural the, the natural man received not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Amen? Now I'm gonna be closing here in a minute. He's thinking of himself and what's not and not this this elder son's thinking of himself and he's not thinking about what the celebration's about. His mind's on himself. His brother that was dead and alive again, he was lost, and now he's found. He should be ecstatic. He should be excited. He should be overwhelmed. He should be happy. He should be finding him and embracing him. But no! He couldn't be happy about someone else's success. It's bad when you're upset at the house for catering to those that are lost and. And you want the house to cater to you more than to them. Listen to me, folks. A believer is in trouble when he's only thinking of himself and when he's only come to the church for what profit he can get out of it. The whole concept of the Christian life is for our lives to be spent for Christ, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him and die to ourselves. That's the gospel, period. Our fulfillment isn't what we receive from the house. When we get fulfilled, it's what we offer the house. It's out of our overflow. It's we feel, feel with the presence of God and we operate in the anointing. I tell you, there's no greater feeling than that in all of the world. Amen? People don't like to go to this church because they don't sing Southern Gospel. Oh, we don't go there because they don't sing Contemporary. We don't go there because I don't like the way they do this and I don't like the way they do that. Get over it. It's not about you, ma'am. It's about the kingdom and what the Father's embracing. It's about the Father's agenda. This is the Father's house. This ain't your house. Is he not in charge? Yes. Woo! I feel like preaching. Hey, let's just have church all the way up till tonight and we'll just go right into tonight. Is that all right? Here's a brother upset for the broken brother's return and the father in the house for throwing him a party. Here's the church rejoicing. They're having a, one of the greatest worship services of the world. This guy's like Judas Iscariot. Mad at Mary pouring out the oil upon Jesus. Judas looked at what it cost while Mary looked at its purpose. I could preach there for a long time. Judas was the treasurer. He was the clerk and he thought, I want to spend this money on what best benefits me and what I like the church to spend the money on. Let me just stop right there. Let me Can I pastor a little bit? When you pay your tithes and when you pay your offering, it ceases to be yours at that point. So get over it how the church spends it. When I give it, I don't have strings attached. It's the Father's. Can I have an amen? And it's given over the hands in whom you trust, those that pray and prepare, and those that go under the bylaws of the church. Come on, somebody help me preach. Mary's concept was, there's nothing more important than the act of worship, and she poured the costly anointment upon Jesus. Judas was carnal in his attitude, and his or this elder son was carnal as well in his vision and his approach. He was cons- so consumed with self he blamed the father for his own actions. Remember, actions and attitude reveal the true inner self. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Listen to what the elder son says. These many years have I served thee. Is that how he viewed his relationship? Isn't that sad? Is this how he revealed his relationship as a servant? There are so many unhappy Christians today because, and the reason why, they look at themselves as servants instead of sons. Amen. You're not saved by your works. You don't have anything that impresses God. Everything you do, there's not one thing you do that impresses God to where you divine favor, where you get favor. you get favor in relationship, you get favor in presence. I got to get off because I got too much to preach. He didn't even recognize his brother as his brother. He says, "Thy son, your son, not my brother." He's done got schisms, and then he begins to want to compare his brother to himself. I didn't go out and spend my money like he did. I didn't sleep with Harlots, and you never thi- allow me to kill a fatted calf and bring a party into my friends. And he didn't even he didn't even consider the father being invited to that party. That party was all about himself. I could break this thing down and we could preach another hour on it. That this guy was so conceited that he wasn't even concerning what the father liked, what the father wanted, or anything else. He wanted a party thrown in his honor with his friends, and he didn't even include the father in the planning stages of that party. And then the father looks at him and says, Son, all that I have is yours. You've had access to it the whole time. There ain't no difference. It's been here and you're exposed to the whole time. The problem is you never had any kind of insider revelation to be able to partake of it. It's right been right before your eyes. There's been a table spread, but you've never sat at the table and got a hold of because you're out of sync of the house. You're not aware of what's going on. Because of your unawareness, you have lost the Esau birthright because of your own ignorance. It ain't got nothing to do with my opportunity or my desire to give to you. God will withhold no good thing to them that walk uprightly. God wants to bless. Every good gift and perfect gift cometh from the Father, cometh from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights so where there's neither velvetness nor shadow of turn. God cannot even turn from wanting to bless you. And if you're not being blessed, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. You're out of sync. You don't have the revelation of how to partake of that which God has already provided through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the redemption in which He has saved you by. Someone, somebody say, brother, you're preaching better than what you think. Amen? Thy son, not my brother. He's upset. He's mad. Schisms. They got favoritisms. They got cliques in that church. It ain't got nothing to do with cliques. It's got those that participate and those that don't. Those that flow and those that don't. Those that's aware and those that are not. Amen? Can I preach just a little longer? Notice the love the father has for his son. The father leaves that party and walks out and finds him. That's what he done. He left the party to sit down to paint a picture to the Pharisees. I want to give you another chance. I love you. I want you to see the real thing, I want you to see the real purpose. You're cloaked, stooped in religion but you don't have a relationship. You're doing all the right things, looking the part, acting the part, going through the motions, going through the mechanics, but you still don't know me. You don't have my heart. You don't understand the rhythm of the house, the atmosphere. You don't understand what I'm trying to do. Churches are dried up all over America. The number one thing that baptistries are Used for in the American church today. You know what it is? Storage. Because they no longer use them. Because no one's being saved. How sad. Oh. I wish I could get back to my notes because I got this thing just fine-tuned, buddy. Won't notice this. He begs him. Son, everything I have, I'll give to you. You have the right to the fatted calf. But you just weren't aware of it. It was right there. The blessing's yours. The things you see go on around these altars, folks, they're for everybody. God's not a respecter of persons. God wants to bless the Jew, the Gentile, the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the Hispanic, come on, the homosexual, the straight, the sinner, the saint. God loves everybody. And here he is, sit them down. He said, I threw a party. I want you to be a part of the party. I'm inviting you to come in with me, my son. But whether you do or whether you don't, I'm going to have a party. With or without you, I'm going to have a party. I'm not shutting things down just because you don't like it and I'm not catering to you. And when the church starts catering to the critical and the bitter and the squeaky wheels, everybody always says the squeaky wheel is the one that always gets the grease. Amen? And that's the truth. Someone make a loud enough noise. They get all the tension. And all of a sudden, all the efforts and energy and finances and everything's trying to keep them, segment of people happy. And if that's what the church begins to cater to, the church will come under bondage and they'll listen to the critical spirits and the judgmental spirits. This father went out and said, it's my way or no way. You're welcome to join in. But if you don't, I'm still going to have the party. The fatted calves are still going to be be, uh, killed. And there's going to be rejoicing. And there's going to be music. And there's going to be worship. And there's going to be presence in my house. House, if you want the presence, if you want the glory, if you want the blessing, if you want the inheritance, if you want the move of God, if you want the supernatural, if you want the miracles, if you want the signs and wonders, if you want all those things, I join you to come in. But if not, we're not stopping what we're doing. Would you stand with me, please?